curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Okay, we are live. Oh, 100 episode. The 100th of the So You're in Sales podcast is live simulcast today. For those of you who've been following along with me on social media, I've made a big ass deal out of this thing because I am so happy and grateful and gratified to have for myself, maybe even more so than anybody else, Stan. I don't know that there's something that I've done 100 of anything in my whole life. So to have stuck stuck it out with something that uh, I care about, like this podcast for going on four years. Uh, obviously, this is episode 100, and we are just 300 listens short of 20,000 for the entirety of the time that the show has been in existence. So for all of you who have been a part of this journey, including you, Mr. Stan Phelps, my uh, co-author of Red Goldfish Promo Edition, and also guest on episode 84 of the So You're In Sales podcast, where we covered your book, Diamond Goldfish, which you co-wrote with the authors of, uh, or of the uh, founders of Market Force. What a tremendous book that was. And you know, I had a little small chance to collaborate with you on that thing. So that was lots of fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being willing to uh, do this with me for episode 100. I'm so stoked that I have somebody that I know as well as you to be a part of what we're doing. Yeah, congrats to you on hitting the century mark. That is quite a, an accomplishment. Do you have another 100 in you? Oh, I think so. Actually, I do. I think um, we may change the format a little bit and this might be us taking a look at what the future might hold. But as far as putting information in front of people who are curious about what it's like to be successful in sales is a journey that I don't feel at all tired with or uh, that I've run out of things for us to talk about. So yeah, I really do think we'll have another another 100 in us. And uh, that means that you're going to have to show, show back up every now and again, eh? because I don't think you're going to stop writing books anytime soon. 
Not not my plans, no. <laughs> well, so you and I are, uh, know each other as a result of a mutual connection, actually many mutual connections, but one uh, that's a little bit extra special, uh, the young Mr. Danny Rosen, who is the co-founder of Promo Cares with me. Danny was kind enough to introduce you to me uh, by virtue of your relationship with him. And it was in that introduction that the seeds of what ultimately came became the book were formed. So just so grateful for that. And in the process here, there's something that I want to share with everybody when it comes to our friend, Mr. Rosen. So let's check this out. Just want to say congratulations on number 100, Roger. This is uh, something to be super proud of, man. And when uh, great ideas come together and you share them, great things happen. And uh, man, this is evidence of that, <laughs> baby. Congratulations, 100. Glad to be part of it and uh, love you, man. Keep that shit up. Keep that shit up. That's classic Danny Rosen, if you ever heard. That's just, just off color enough to be interesting. That is definitely our friend, Danny Rosen. So I wanted to just uh, thank you again for your contribution to what we were able to produce. You know, the promotional marketing industry was in need of a shot in the arm and nothing like a global pandemic and change in the changes to socioeconomic conditions to change people's opinion about what it is that they do with the dollars that they spend. And I think what promotional marketing is capable of doing is really conveying an emotion that can be attached to your company's brand in a meaningful kind of way. So by you giving us the platform to be able to articulate the ways that businesses in the promotional marketing industry were using purpose to do that was uh, something that I will forever be grateful to you for. So much, much thanks for that. But that's not what we have you here for. We're not, we're not here to talk about purpose. We're not here to talk about anything other than the last 16, 18 months in Stan Phelps' life. So let me set the state stage for all of you when it comes to what I know about my good buddy Stan. So here we are, it's uh, you know 2019 and I'm trying to write a book with Stan and we're having some ge uh, ge geographic challenges to doing that because Stan's in Singapore, he's in Thailand, he's in you know uh, Pennsylvania on his way through to Cleveland and you know, uh, your your uh, travel schedule was was staunch. You were you were after it, and then pandemic. <laughs> right, right. The pandemic. So, so talk I, I to literally, about that. like what was that? What was that like? What 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 did uh, what did that do for you? Yeah, I'll never forget where I was last March. I I had flown out over the weekend to LA and I did a Monday morning workshop, like a half day workshop in Santa Monica. And, you know, typical fashion had to get on a, a flight that night. And Tuesday I did an event in Las Vegas where I keynoted um, a conference there for in the real estate market. And then literally I was flying out that night because I had a program that I needed to do uh, in Indianapolis. So traveling halfway, you know, more than halfway across the country. And literally I was going to the airport and the phone started ringing. And not only was I in supposed to be in Indianapolis on Friday, I was supposed to be in Columbus. Both of those got immediately canceled. Uh, 
And then literally it was a cascade of my entire spring getting wiped out. And uh, that was a, I'll never forget that kind of punch in the gut, you know, moment. Uh, and things changed forever. Forever. And it wasn't just those few in the days and the weeks leading up after that, it was what became a tidal wave, right? I mean, of like nothing. Of nothing. Uh, yeah. Like a blank calendar. And, uh, you know, the challenge of how long are we going to be without live events? Now I am, I'm not only a glass half full type of guy, I am your glass can continuously be refilled type of guy. And like I had planned, I, you know, I thought, you know, June, July, I had organized the, the kind of seeds of a tour to get out and do some outdoor events. And then the second wave happened. And, you know, the second wave was tragic, but it was also good, Roger, because it cemented the fact that we were going to be virtual for, you know, the foreseeable future. And it really forced the hands of companies to say, hey, look, we still have needs. We still need to do events. We still need to train our folks. We just need to ad adopt a different way of doing it. Um, yeah, but you yeah. didn't, uh, you, fortunately, you had like, you know, two or three other income streams that you can rely on that you didn't, you know, that this was not a problem for you. And you hadn't basically establish your entire income around this ability to go around and deliver this content, right? I mean, yeah, like no big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, and you know this book well, and I'm just about to redo this 2.0 of it, which is Pink, which is about really in some areas trying to double and triple down on what you do, and in other areas to try to do less. And so many speakers also supplement what they do by either coaching or consulting. And about five years ago, I, I decided I really get the most joy out of speaking and I don't want to be the jack of all trades. I really want to focus on writing and speaking, much to my detriment when the when the pandemic hit. But but you know, I, I will credit that because I was so locked down that there was no choice for me but to try to figure out how I could do this in a way that not replicated, but brought the same experience virtually that that I was used to doing, you know, in person. Yeah. So you had, what do we call it? Like you had a quick triage, kind of looked around and realized that we were in a war zone when it came to how it is that we were fighting the battle. You needed to assess kind of what the landscape was of who might want to even work with me on replacing what used to be in-person virtually. So right. walk me through like, how did you, what, what did that discovery process look like for you when you were trying to work your way through that piece of it? Well, one, you, you always have to be aware. It's not like I hadn't done virtual, right? Mm -hmm. So I would tell you every about 5% of my business over the last eight, nine years has been virtual. 
okay. 5%. And so it was not called a virtual presentation. It was called a webinar. Sure. And the webinar, and this was just the general accepted form, even the platforms required this, was essentially talking over slides, which I'm not sure if it's scientifically been proven, but I have a theory that that might be the cure for insomnia. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like the clinical cure for insomnia. So, you know, it was incumbent upon me to think about, you know, how could I bring very much a similar experience of, of seeing me be able to present the, the information and then also be able to do kind of a, you know, a visual. And it, what it led me to do is to really think about creating kind of an entire studio where I could bring a lot of that same experience to life, you know, virtually. Well, and especially for you, you know, clearly you're not the only person in this boat, but all the Goldfish series is all built around this idea of user experience, right? And Absolutely. so... So when you take your goldfish brain <laughs> and apply it to, okay, like how are we going to reimagine the setup? Why in your mind was that part of it important specifically? You know, yeah, everything I write about is the idea of creating a differentiated experience. And I'll, and I'll tell you, I was a very early user of Zoom because I, I can tell you this, my, myself and the people I work with from a business development perspective, we love the idea of being able to get on and have somebody see you and, you know, essentially get a sense of who you are and how you present. So for, you know, the two years before the pandemic, I was jumping on Zoom calls almost every week. Right. And, you know, about half the time people would share their own camera, but that didn't matter to me. I really just wanted them to be able to see me. Um, so I had a sense of what it was like, but I wanted to again, try to recreate. A and what I found, Roger, is that you can create probably about 75% of a similar experience to in-person, but what you lack is kind of the stadium effect. It, we've all been in a crowded bar watching a great sporting event. We've all been to great live music or even to a comedy club. When you're close together, everything just reverberates and amplifies. So you, you're never going to get that back. But I did find that when you did things vir virtually, you actually could get a lot more engagement that you would never get in person or you'd never have the ability to do when you were doing a keynote or even a workshop. So I tried to, you know, ex as, as much as I could try to recreate that experience and then, you know, take advantage of the ways that we could make it interactive. We, I don't know any person who will watch this that doesn't struggle with the idea of how do I know they're even paying attention? How do I know that when I need a specific stakeholder at this table to give me an answer on something that's going to be vital for us in the movement of whatever we're trying to do to the next stage of whatever that is. 
And I have absolutely no way to know if not only are they not paying attention or not, but how engaged are they with this concept? Are they for it or against it? Have I been able to witness anything in the way of body language or uh, breathing that's going to give me a clue as to whether or not what I would have had in person available to me? So knowing that we are all faced with this challenge, I mean, it really was a lot of the reason why I wanted to have you come on specifically because, you know, there is that in addition to it being don't bore them, Johnny, right. how do we make sure that we as the salesperson have regained control of what is going on from whatever it is we're doing in that moment? And whether you have the setup that we're going to have you walk folks through or just a single screen, these mm -hmm. things have to work in conjunction with one another in order for you to be as effective as possible in what you would have ordinarily done in person now being done through this box, right? Yeah, and, and as, as I think, as I've done, a, I think what's key is if, if you don't share your screen, right? If there's a way I have kind of technology with a screen behind me that I love doing it so I can see the Brady Bunch, <laughs> I call it the Brady Bunch effect. Once you start sharing your screen, you know, it's hard to really look at the gallery. Um, people start to check out. Um, and so what I've learned is, is as much as I can, I want to feel like I'm talking to faces mm -hmm. and I'm gauging for reaction. And, you know, using the chat as a tool to stop people and kind of reset them. And I, I think that's something that's key that I think anybody can use, you know, ask just an open-ended question. Hey, everyone type in their response, but we're going to all enter at the same time. Um, you know, what do you think this number is? Let's do wisdom of the crowd, right? And have everybody guess. You know, it turns out when you, when I used to do keynotes and you'd have a 50 minute keynote, you knew that every about eight to 10 minutes, you'd have to break things up. Right. Right. Get everybody to stand up, partner up and answer a question. Ask for, you know, show of hands. Um, give them, play a video, right, to, to kind of mix things up. Well, I think now that we do stuff virtually, it's no longer eight to 10 minutes. I'd argue that it's three to four minutes. Yep. Yep, for sure. And we've been giving some joint presentations recently, and we've been able to kind of gauge from the reactions that we get how how that frequency and timing plays into the overall performance of the presentation. You know, I don't think that many salespeople historically have considered those two words in tandem with one another, but I think more so now than ever, it really has become as much performance as presentation as um, as ever. And so by having a firm understanding of that is the concept that you need to build your skills around, mm -hmm. that gives you sort of, okay, now I know my mindset around where I need to take my personal skills. Right. But now I want to talk with you about like, okay, so you did the traditional camera, Zoom, and then eventually you said, all right, this isn't getting it. No, so, I've got to figure, I've got to figure it out. Um, you know, one of the ways that I can kind of switch people, and I, I just did it before, 
is, you know, when I go to a different, um, different look, right. This is kind of, I call this kind of the break in the third wall, kind of the, the DJ booth type of look. Um, but all, all, you know, all of that, all of that helps to kind of change things up, change people's eye lines. But the most critical thing that I do, this is kind of my default is this is just a separate TV, right? That I run my presentation from another laptop that I have a click or two and I can control. And that laptop is right in front of me. It's like a, what we would call in speaking a confidence monitor. So I know what's the current slide and the next slide are. And I can just engage with my content very easily and not with a lot of text, but I can give people a very strong visual that, you know, is in tandem with what they hear. All right. So, um, I, so you're Stan, you, you're, you're ready to make a change and you just started Googling, how do I do this? Or like, how, how did you arrive at what it is that you've come up with from a, a product perspective and the way that you've put that all together? So I just start great, great, uh, great question. So you might've remembered this. I decided that I was going to do a webinar a week through May and June. So, you know, I had kind of April to figure it out a little bit and then I continuously evolved and it was called the back to black webinar series. And that was kind of an ode to ACDC because they had a great story about how they kind of uh, really rebounded from tragedy to create mm -hmm. one of the most successful albums of all time. But every week it was trying to, you know, just do a little thing differently. Um, so, you know, very much in the beginning, it was sitting down at my desk with a TV behind me. Um, I then realized, hey, you're actually a lot more animated when you stand. Yep. It feels a little bit uncomfortable. Um, then I was able to, I worked with someone on how to do my lighting because we have glasses. And lighting is hard to do with glasses. Um, and don't do the ring light if you have glasses, right? <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you can, but you have to be very careful how you do it because you don't want the lighting to distract. Right. You know? Um, so standing up was a big thing. Being able to figure out just the equipment. And I bought, ended up buying a, a switcher so I can kind of switch the views. Um, and yeah, it was just a lot of trial and error. You know, I, I use some colored lighting because my series is a variety of colors. So like we, we've done the red goldfish together. You know, if we were, we were together and doing that, you know, I'd simply switch it up and now we've got red. Um, so I wanted that variability as well. And What's been fun is even since you got to the point where from a media perspective, you felt good about the setup, you then went and changed the set again, because once you're like, okay, now I want my aesthetics to match my technology, which right. so that was interesting to watch, even for those of us who follow your content. If you go back now and kind of look at what Stan has done, you can see, you can almost to the date pinpoint when it was that he made the next step in the evolution, if you will. 
Yeah. So, and I will tell you this, this is like, I, I akin to like doing like a speaker reel. If you ever talk to anyone who's a speaker and go, how do you like your speaking reel? No one's <laughs> going to tell you they like it. Right. It's all, I could always had a better stage, better lighting. The sound is a little off. It's not quite, you know, um, no one's ever going to be happy with this. And I think you just have to get a mindset of how can I make it just a little bit better and tweak it? Because if you try to try to do the whole thing, you're just going to get overwhelmed. Well, and so this kind of brings me to the next part of it, right? So I look at what you've done and the only other obstacle that I create for myself before I even know the answer is, oh, that looks like it's way too expensive. Mm. And so I want to give you a chance to sort of talk through like, you don't have to go all the way to what you did. No. But I want you to like, eventually let's tell the people what you spent, but there's ways to sort of work your way into a setup that doesn't necessarily require you to go from zero to thousands of dollars in expense on day one, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's some very basic stuff that you can do just to kind of switch things up. Again, if I would I would tell people if if you only had a few hundred dollars and you had an extra laptop, like I would just buy something where you could put a screen behind you. You can you can grab a, a this is a 40 inch, but you can grab for about two hundred dollars smart TV, um, get some long running cables. That's a simple way to kind of, I think, improve things. There are tools out there. There's a free software called OBS, Online Broadcast Studio. Um, that's a good tool. A lot of people use that. I tend to use more hardware as opposed to software. Um, there's also a thing called Ecamm Live, where you can figure out on how to place your slides you know, within you, where, where the camera is picking it up. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do that's, you know, a hundred to five hundred dollars is kind of a first step. Mm -hmm. And then from there you start adding, and really, really where we've seen the expense is in the cameras. Yeah. So the 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 cameras, um, you know, I I have. If you really want a great image. Right. You could tell the difference. This is an this is a, a GoPro up here that I'm shooting from. But if you go to this one, it's like night and day yep. between the two. Absolutely. And so the GoPro is one hundred and fifty dollars. Right. And, you know, this one right here is with the lens and the camera is about two thousand dollars. Right. So it's not, you know, an inconsequential but you can get pretty good Canon or Sony's for about six, seven hundred dollars. It may not have everything, um, but the key is that whether it's Ecamm, OBS, or I use a switching device called an ATEM Mini by Blackmagic, you need something to be able to bring the the HD feed from that camera into your computer it needs to recognize it as like a like a uh, a webcam right so that's where you know you, you want to pay attention that you get the right cameras if you're going to upgrade 
And there are products that sort of are, lie in between. So there's a, a um, software called uh, Camo that allows you to use the high resolution camera on your iPhone. So if you have a better resolution iPhone camera than you do on your webcam, you run Camo, reincubate, and that allows you to then use that to improve your resolution. There's also the manufacturer DJI makes a, a number of relatively high resolution and relatively inexpensive cameras with a very elaborate kind of like GoPro setup of additional clips and clamps and, and uh, tripods and selfie sticks that you can use to then take advantage of the resolution of that camera in different settings. That's a lot of the LinkedIn content that I shoot on video is done on my DJI Mimo. Right. I know other people in the industry that are really big fans of that particular device as well. So I guess what we want to convey here is you, you don't have to break break the bank. What but the first thing that you want to consider is from that user experience perspective and the space that you have. That's a that's another big part of this. Like some of us have don't have the same uh, quantity of space to be able to create what really almost approximates a set now. Like I've been in your right. office, but it's more of a set in a lot of ways than it is an office anymore. And right. I think those of us that are in sales, if we start with the mindset of thinking that like, that's how you have to approach this thing is, yes, I need all of the same productivity tools that I needed before to be successful in doing my daily activity. But now how am I creating a differentiated experience in those interactions that I have with my clients and prospects that allows when someone turns on the camera to go, whoa, that right. has my attention, right? And something as simple as this, ban this uh, backdrop that I have behind me can be an effective way to get that job done. So it's just a matter of adopting that and saying, okay, I know that I need to polish up my game here. What are the ways that I can make sure that I change my presentation to make it more interactive on a more frequent basis? What can I do with the way my technology works in order to then be able to make the way that we present even look differently? And right. then what budget do I have to be able to apply to that methodology that I've decided is important? So uh, let's put the let's put the bow on the package. So, what have been some of the reactions that you've gotten from people that are are participating in your content now that you've made this transition? Are you hearing any feedback to suggest that you're on the right track, or is it more of a I'm still getting clients, so I think that I'm doing it well? Like, are, well, what's your you're getting? Well, first, first off, um, you know, Peter, Peter, you know, who Peter Shankman is. Peter talks about a lot of times you only have to be one level above crap <laughs> to really stand out. And that, and that applies because there are so many people that don't even do the simple things that you and I take for granted. Like for an example, that they make sure that the webcam is eye level, right? Like that's just a small thing or that they use a vir virtual background, but they're too lazy to get actually a green screen behind them so it actually looks good, right? Or they're not paying attention to where sunlight is coming into the room, right? And instead of it, you know, that taking that sunlight and using it for advantage, the sunlight's coming in from behind them and really doing bad things. Or, and this is gonna sound simple, we've always said, you know, people will forgive the video 
they won't forgive audio. Right. So spend a little bit money, a little bit of money to get better, a better microphone. And you're going to be way, way ahead of 95%. Um, I can tell you with mine, you know, it's always nice that, you know, I get people come back and go, wow, that, you know, that was totally different. So check mark. But like I was engaged throughout. You know, everyone, whether they want to admit it or not, has Zoom fatigue. And so I think the bar, you really have to kind of stand out in order to catch people and and really rise above that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think virtual is going to be here for the foreseeable future. What percentage it will be for me as a speaker going forward, I don't know, but I, I feel pretty good about where I'm at. Um, I don't think anything Roger will ever replace. Um, like you and I did a, a program last week where it was virtual and then there was like an after where people got together. I mean, speak to that. It was just, I mean, I probably did a good job, but it was like nothing's going to replace when everybody, the vibe when everybody's in a room. I was thinking back to what you were saying when you were referencing the, what it feels like to be shoulder to shoulder at a concert or at a play or move, at the movie theater. or any, It's the energy. The energy in the room is contagious. And that can work to your advantage and it can work to your disadvantage. Right. If there's people in the room who are agitated by what you're doing, that has a way of being noticed by other people and that has a way of being distracting and all of those things. But when you get people together, especially when we've all been robbed of that person to person uh, uh, participation, the energy is so much more palpable now because that we've had it withheld from us for so long that you know even introverts are to a certain degree in need of human contact in order to sustain themselves. So yeah, it was it was out of this world good and I, I, I share your opinion, but I think there are ways like what you're doing, Stan, that can help bridge the gap for those instances when you know it's just going to not be capable of creating that in-person energy, but still right. creating a user experience that is di differentiated enough for people to want to pay attention. So I want to give you the last little bit here to talk about like What's Stan working on right now? What's the next thing that our audience can expect from you? And uh, how should we stay engaged with Stan Phelps? Yeah, thank you. So uh, this will be the third time now that I've done a 2.0. But this is the exciting thing. We've got the 2.0 for pink goldfish coming up. I know you know my co-author, David Rendell, who wears head-to-toe pink. He's like six foot I think he's 6'9 in heels. He's pretty tall. Um, I've never been more excited about a book because I think we're at a juncture right now where the idea of normal is like a foreign concept. So if there's ever been an opportunity for people to think about ways they can define normal, normal and more importantly, exploit imperfection, that's all of what Pink Goldfish is about. Um, and so I, th I think it's a great opportunity. That's going to come out on July 5th. 
Oh, nice. Which, you know, we've been pushing towards July 4th as being, quote unquote, an Independence Day. I think July 5th begins the next, whether you want to call it the next normal, the the new normal, or as Alan Weiss likes to call it, the no normal. (laughs) Um, And I, I, I tend to agree. I don't think there is normal anymore. I think you've got to work with what you have and figure out ways that you can stand out. So we're excited about the timing of Pink Goldfish 2.0. Awesome, work with what you have and figure out a way to stand out. It's pretty much the entire basis of what we talked about today. Stan, man, thanks so much. You're always so valuable and generous in what you're able to give us. So I'm super, super pleased and I'm glad that uh, it was you to be number 100, Stan. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate I'll, it. I'll see you at 200, right? When are we going to do 200? You got it, man. Take care. All right.